It was such a joy to be on the streets of Burbank, on the streets of Hollywood, that area preaching Christ. One, it was a joy because the sun was out, the birds were singing, it was warm, it was dry. That's a joy. Two, because the reception level compared to Portland, Oregon is phenomenal. Three, because it's always a joy. It's just always a joy to preach Christ. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love him. I love him. I love to give his name its due fame. I love to lift his name up over the cosmos, over the solar system, over the planet, and over every man, woman, and child on it, and call every knee to bend before him and assure them that their knee will bend. He is their Lord. He is their king. They have a relationship with with him right now. Unfortunately, it's one of rebellion, but they must repent or they'll perish in their sins. They repent by the grace of God, and it will be one as a child of God a child of God, and Christ will prepare a place of eternal blessing for them. So it's such a joy to spend my week that way, and it's a joy to spend it with brothers, dear brothers in Christ, laboring together, sisters as well. This context this week was just brothers, but sisters as well. It's a joy to labor together in the ministry of the gospel. The sweetest fellowship you'll ever have is in the ministry of the gospel, some of the most edifying times you'll ever have is in the ministry of the gospel. And be it by being engaged in the ministry of the gospel, the Word of God in your own private study, the Word of God in your own private reading is so much richer and more alive and edifying for you. It's not just a dry, dusty book. It's a living book. And it's always living, mind you. The Spirit of God inspired it and He illuminates it. But hear me, when you are actively ministering the gospel, not necessarily alongside me, but in your life, in the context God has placed you, when you're actively ministering the gospel, you identify with the saints of old who are advancing the kingdom of God and had very real enemies because of that advancement of the kingdom of God. You identify with the saints of the New Testament who are actively preaching the same Christ we preach, actively proclaiming the same gospel we proclaim, and suffering for it. For there's a very real spiritual battle going on in this world. And so your whole Christian life has changed. Your study of God's Word, your reception of preaching, uh, your prayer life has changed because it, it's out of the, the uh, uh, hyper-spiritual and into the real, which is actual spiritual, because the Spirit of God lives in you that you might be fr- full of those fruits. Love, love unto God. A man on the street asked me yesterday, about the Spirit of God's role in the work of evangelism. And uh, he, he said he really feels like he needs more of the Spirit. And I said, yes and amen. Uh, we don't want to minister in the flesh. This should be the, the finest display of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. What is the first fruit of the Spirit, I asked him? Love. Love of God and love of man. And how should that manifest itself? To broadcast the glory of your God to make His name famous in the earth and to encourage all who know and love Him to know and love Him better and more and all that are in rebellion against Him that would deny and defy Him to cease their sin and bend their knee to their King, to their Lord and the only Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that is the evidence of the fullness of the Spirit of God. No one is full of the Holy Spirit who does nothing with the gospel of Jesus Christ or does little with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know if you're full of the Spirit of God? What are you doing with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are you loving Jesus if you're not making His name great? How are you loving Jesus if you'll 
deny, defy, or utterly ignore His standing final command. We call the Great Commission, but we fail so often to make it great. If we're full of the Holy Spirit, I said to this this gentleman, who's on the street ministering the gospel, asking me about the role of the Spirit of God. So he's doing pretty good, right? I said to him, have you ever searched Acts to see what it says in the context it says when they're full of the Spirit of God? Do you see how that is manifest in their life? They're not flopping and dropping with gold teeth popping. What's going on there is they're preaching the glories of the Christ. They're preaching the glories of God. When they're full of the Holy Spirit, they proclaim Jesus everywhere, in every place, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Because they know the price Jesus paid for them. And the Spirit of God has set them free from self-love and consumed them with love of God and love of perishing sinners. Which, by the way, is also love of the saints because we're, we're supposed to be iron sharpening iron. We're supposed to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's stand together one heart, one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. For this is what it's all about. This is why there's a heaven. This is why there's an earth. This is why you're alive on it. For the glory of Christ and the redemption of sinners. And so the pastor is evangelist. The pastor is evangelist. Sadly, far too many pastors are deplorably absent from the field of battle known as evangelism. They'll not only not evangelize outside of abortion clinics and risk that controversy and conflict with authorities and the society set on murdering untold numbers of children, but they'll not risk the scandal of ministering the gospel publicly anywhere. They'll not risk the scandal of, of even handing a tract to a stranger. Uh, that would be too shameful. That, that wouldn't be professional. It wouldn't be proper. They'll not, some of them, and mind you, I'm not trying to impugn my fellow brothers whom I love unnecessarily, but some of them are literally in ivory towers, lofty ivory towers that they'll not descend the long staircase from to come down to the common man to speak to them in the light of day, those who are perishing in their sins. Now from the lofty tower, they'll hail forth that the Word of God is omnipotent. The Word of God is mighty to save. The Gospel is the power of God to salvation. They'll proclaim the sovereignty of God in the finest terms and tones. But when it comes to applying those doctrines with feet on the street, it it would seem that the tower door is locked from the outside and they, they cannot, or perhaps the inside, worse yet, and they cannot get out of that tower. Some are are so set on preaching the finest sermon one might ever hear on a Lord's Day that they don't have the time to preach a roughshod sermon to those who are dying in their sins in the highways and byways, those who will never enter their church doors, the great masses. They just can't find that time. And so I rejoice only by the grace of God. No good thing in me. No good thing in me. Only by the grace of God. I rejoice in the full orb ministry of a pastor to preach the word to God's saints and to preach the word to the perishing sinners, some of which are God's elect. And all of the elect, hear me, all the elect from the darkest, deepest depths of sin, all the elect will be saved. All of them. And it's my joy to herald forth that gospel into the deepest, darkest depths of sin, knowing 
that each and every one whom God has chosen will be saved. God's word will not return void. It is omnipotent to save. But how are they here without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? Pastor as evangelist. I preached this text, 1 Timothy 1.15. I preached it again and again and again this week, and I'll, I'll preach it all my life by the grace of God. It beats in my heart. It flows in my veins. It fires up my synapses. It defines really who I am and I think who we are. 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all universal acceptance. Everywhere, every place, every pastor, every church, every Christian. This is a faithful saying. This is truth, bedrock truth, central truth, vital truth. This is a faithful saying. Could you not say that about every chapter and verse in God's word? This is a faithful saying. Yet the Lord sets apart certain portions thereof. To highlight. This is a yellow highlighter. This is a red pen in inspired text. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance by all men, by all women, by all the church. It's not just a particular church's focus. A particular Christian spiritual gift. Universal truth. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus, the King, Christ, the King, the Anointed One. Christ, the Son of David. Christ, the center of time. He split time. B.C. A.D. Christ, the Creator. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. And the Word became Flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ, Jesus, 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 Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus means, Savior. Yahweh saves. That's what His name means. Who is Jesus? He is Yahweh, the Savior. And that's what his name means. Jesus. Yahweh saves. The Christ, the King, came into this world. Jesus, Yahweh saves, came into this world. Christ, Jesus, came into the world. The creator of the cosmos. The everlasting to everlasting. The Alpha to Omega. The beginning and the end. He who is infinite power, he who is of infinite wisdom, He who dwells in eternity came into space, time, and matter, came into His creation, humbling Himself, taking upon Himself the likeness of men and yet without sin, so that He could suffer and die for wretched, abominable, blasphemous, perverted, vile God-haters. That's what we are until He redeems us. He set His love upon us, not because we were lovely, 
but for the glory of the Father to make us lovely with his own righteousness. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, not good people. Sinners, not unchurched people. Sinners, not nice people um, who have some hard spots in their life, who are struggling, who need some help. Sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He was holy, holy, holy. He was the Creator. Came into His creation in the likeness of man to save sinners who use His name as a filth word. Who use His name to express the most vile passions of their hearts. Their hatred of their fellow man and God simultaneously. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There is a world so that Christ Jesus could could come into the world to save sinners. There is a sun with a world called the earth going around it so that Christ Jesus could come into the world to save sinners. There is a galaxy called the Milky Way with a solar system that we dwell in with a sun that our planet revolves around so that Christ Jesus could come into the world to save sinners. There is a cosmos in which there is a galaxy called the Milky Way, in which there's a solar system with a sun in it, with a planet called Earth revolving around it, so that Christ Jesus could come into the world to save sinners. It's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. And this cosmos, right, this vast cosmos, this solar system, this sun, this Earth, and all that's in it is going to burn up. All of it. All of it. Now, I enjoy some of it, like Mexican dives in gas stations. And you should too. You should too. I enjoy my little grandchildren. I enjoy my children. I enjoy their athletics. I enjoy holding my wife's hand. I enjoy life. But this life is fleeting. This is fleeting. I am alive. Get this. I am alive for the glory of God. I'm alive to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why God created me and you too. Now, differently than me, you're not a pastor, but this is why you live and exist and breathe. For the glory of God and the redemption of sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And when he saves you, he enlists you as a soldier in his army. It's not an option. Well, I'm not that kind of Christian. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Now, various roles, mothers, you're not apostles, you're not missionaries, except to your own homes, to those precious children God has given you, to the other children of the church, at the grocery store, everywhere in between. So there are different roles, and yet the same mission, the same mission, that mission that Christ Jesus came into the world for, to save sinners. How is God most glorified? We'll see. Um, what would Jesus do? Now, what did Jesus do? What did He do? He created everything so that He could come into His creation to save sinners. And that brings Him the greatest glory. How dare we not cooperate with that? How dare we not live, breathe, and die for that? And we can stop for burritos in the gas station along the way, praise God, right? There's lots of blessings along the way. There's lots of places in life, all our hobbies, everything. I'm not saying forsake all that and, 
and stand in the street with Bibles and tracts 24-7 constantly. That's all you can do. No, we're not talking legalism. We're talking the mission, the Great Commission. We're talking the purpose for everything and that this should consume and infiltrate every area of your life. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Of whom I am chief. He saved me. All I deserve is hell. That's all I deserve. I know who I am. I know who I was. I know that even before I was saved, God held me back from my sin. He held me back from places I would have gone except for some reason I had a holy terror of going there. I got by the grace of God because so many don't get it. If you go there, you don't come back. You go off that cliff of sin. There's, there's very few who return. It wasn't a good thing in me that kept me from it. It was the hand of God that kept me from it, even before He regenerated me. Of whom I am chief. We should all feel that way. The apostles in the upper room, one of you is going to betray me. Is it I? Is it I? No one pointed at Judas. It's him! Is it I? Of whom I am chief. I know whom Christ has saved. I know the wretch He has saved. I know the reality of amazing grace when I sing it. And I praise God for His grace. I am a blood-bought slave of Christ. My life is not my own. I don't go and do and live and breathe and exist for my own pleasure, ultimately. Do I get pleasure in life? I do. Much, much pleasure. But I live, breathe, and exist for the glory of Christ. And when my heart is right and I'm full of the Holy Spirit, like that man asked me on the street, when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm dead to me. I'm dead to me. And I'm alive in Christ. When I'm full of the Holy Spirit, Paul's little motto in Philippians, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's my reality when I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And the all-consuming mission of Christ is consuming me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, He did. He did. And that's our mission. That's what it's all about. That's what every church's mission is. No church sit around saying, what's going to be our focus? This is it! Now, there's a lot of supporting ministries. There's a lot of uh, sub-ministries. But every ministry is beneath this ministry because this is why everything exists. This is why Christ Jesus, the creator of everything that exists, came into his creation. This is why he will forever, for all eternity, bear the marks of his crucifixion. Looking as the lamb who was slain for you and I. Will we not live and suffer and die for he who lived and suffered and died? The only reason he lived, the only reason he took upon humanity so was so was that he might suffer and die. He who is life laid down his life and took it up again on the third day for you, knowingly, for you, knowingly, knowing who you are, knowing what you do, knowing what you'd think, knowing what would come out of your mouth, knowing that you are a God-hater by nature, at enmity with God, he came and laid down his life for you with full knowledge and took it up again on the third day conquering sin on your behalf, conquering death on your behalf, conquering Satan on your behalf, sealing you to God so that in space, time, and matter, when the gospel would come down upon you by some blessed Christian, some dear saint who dared deliver it to you or put a Gideon Bible in your hand, 
in space, time, and matter, you would be granted regeneration and repentance and faith by the omnipotent hand of God and never let go, never let go. Be a child of God forever. Not so you can get your best life now, so you can get your best eternity later and spend your best life now. Your best life is in service to this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what it's about. So that's what I'm about. That's what you're about. In one way or another, in the life, in the place that God has providentially placed you. I, I'm excited to be here. So many people when we're, we're down at like a shepherd's conference or I travel anywhere, they're oh, you're from Portland. Oh, my. They see it on the news, right? All the time. And we, our relatives in Iowa, oh, man. You know, they always know about our fair city. This year at Shepherd's Conference, Antifa. Is that as bad as it looks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for real. But we are strategically placed. We are strategically placed and gladly placed. I, I'm glad to be here. I pity those pastors who have to pastor in Texas and Georgia and Tennessee and Florida where everyone thinks they're a Christian. No, that's not a Christian life. <laughs> no, you got to repent. Christ clearly is not your Lord. You you might attend church, but you're not part of the church, capital C, born again from above. As Whitfield was so apt to say, you must be born again. Why was he apt to say it? Because Jesus said, you must be born again. Why do you keep saying that, Whitfield? Because, ma'am, you must be born again. That's why I keep saying that. Yeah, I, I, I pity them. They've got one life to live. Yeah, visiting Texas. Visiting, just so you know, visiting Branson, Missouri. That's a great place to go. Skip Disneyland. Go to Branson. It's beautiful. The Witness of Christ is there. Go to the art store in Branson, Missouri at the amusement park. Go to the art store there. It's all about Jesus, and it's all woven in, and they'll tell you the, the story uh, of this artwork. And it just it's God-glorifying. It's wonderful. And they've got hymn sings and... Uh, hoedowns and uh, all sorts of stuff. It's all Americana and Christ, and Christ is above it all. But it's it's pretty amazing town, Branson, Missouri. It's it's a lot of fun, righteous fun. I'm sure there's some unrighteousness around there, but it's so amazing. Living in Portland, you can't imagine, right? Go visit. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Come back because you're on the mission field here in Portland, right? Come back and live. That one precious life God gave you to live for His glory. Yeah, we could all hide you know, somewhere. We could, we could build a commune in the forest. But stay in the fight for Christ. you got one life to live. One opportunity to glorify Christ. One opportunity to sow the seed of the gospel. And your life, your lips, the Bibles you hand out, the tracts you hand out, even the ones you leave, right? You drop and run. There will be people in heaven as children of God, under the love of God, because of your deeds, your words, your faith exercised, joining Christ in His great mission. He came into the world to save sinners, and you didn't say, yeah, but I'm kind of busy. You said, yeah, I'm going to bring all my business beneath that, all my business beneath the business of Christ. Christ Jesus is in the business of saving sinners, saints. And the business is good. Every single one of those for whom he died will be saved. They will be saved. Our job is to broadcast forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is what will save them. It will save them. Business is good. We've got to get to CT.
That's just the first scripture. So 2 Timothy 3.15 is the central command to pastors centering in the ministry of God's word, which every pastor who ought to be sat beneath relishes this text because it's the defining text of the pastoral ministry. 2 Timothy 3.15 through 4, chapter 4, verse 5. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the ministry of the Word. That's the ministry that Christ commands. That's the ministry the Holy Spirit has empowered. The Word is the Holy Spirit-inspired text. The Word is Holy Spirit illumined. illumined. He illumines it for all those whom He's regenerating and all those whom He has regenerated. And so we preach the Word, whether in season or out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Whether they like it or not, they need to be convinced. If they can't be convinced, they need to be rebuked. If they have been convinced to rebuke, they need to be exhorted to continue in the Word. Preaching is an authoritative declaration of the Word of God. It's not my opinion. It's not how I think, not how I feel. It's thus saith the Lord. And every pastor and every Christian is called to be a communicant, a messenger of the Word of God. Because scripture, the Scriptures make men and women wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's the Scriptures that do that. It's the Scriptures that have the power of God. Verse 16, because all Scripture is given by inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is Holy Spirit inspired. It is theonoustos, God breathed. And thus, it's profitable. You know it's profitable. The word preached, the word shared, the word proclaimed, the word in tract form, you know it is profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, theological truth, teaching, for reproof, uh, a harsher correction, a, a strong correction. Uh, some translations say rebuke. And for correction, a little, a little more moderate, but correction. And none of that does our flesh like. None of that will we receive except by the Spirit of God. Our flesh doesn't like any of that. But by the Spirit of God, we will receive the doctrine. This is the truth. Yes and amen. That's the truth. God's Word is clear. Uh, and, well, I think. No, it doesn't matter. This is the truth. Oh, I feel. It doesn't matter. This is the truth. Thus saith the Lord. And when the Spirit of God is in you, that's how you receive the Word of God. This is the truth. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Hey, what's that you're teaching over there, or believing over there? That, that's heresy. Oh, okay. I, the Spirit of God's within me. I've got onto some heresy, but the Spirit of God's in me, so guess what I do with that? I spit it out. Like Paul with Peter in Galatia, when Paul rebuked him to his face. Peter had horribly erred. But Paul came and rebuked him to his face before all. And Peter repented, got back on track, gave up that Judaizing heresy that he was arid in. So it's useful, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Hey, you know that? You don't want to go there. You don't want to eat that, dear sheep. <laughs> Come back around here. Um, hey, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be involved in that. That's not safe morally. That's not safe theologically. Turn off that TBN. That's going to rot your soul. Yeah, correction. And for instruction in righteousness. This is how then we should live. As Jesus said, go therefore make disciples and what? Teach them to observe or obey all things I've commanded. For instruction in righteousness. There, there is unrighteousness. There is righteousness. And the word of God 
defines the two, so we are to instruct our children. We're, we're to instruct, uh, as husbands, our wives, to wash them with the water of the Word. Uh, and wives can, can uh, in, a, in a sweet and, and godly way, even as a helpmate, um, help say, honey, honey, um, maybe not. <laughs> um, iron sharpening iron. Every, every husband has been a, given a God-given gift. His best counselor, his first counselor is that dear bride. You disdain her counsel at your own peril. Now, Christ is ahead of you. Christ is over you, and you are to lead your wife, right? Not be led by her. But if, if she has good biblical merit in the counsel she's giving and you ignore it, it's going to be to your, to your peril. Listen to that precious counsel. And so praise God, His Word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Complete. How do you get complete? Mature. Become a teleos man through the Word of God. It's, it's able to save you. It's able to make you complete, mature, a strong, vital, ready, equipped Christian. Thoroughly equipped. How equipped? Thoroughly equipped. How equipped do you want to be? Thoroughly equipped. So, so put away, good morning, Holy Spirit by Benny Hinn. Um, put away all the psychologized books that all the so-called Christian bookstores are selling you. If it has PhD after it, um, you probably want to just throw it in the trash. Uh, unless, unless their doctorate is in exegeting the Word of God, you probably just want to throw it away. Uh, the Word of God is sufficient to save, it's sufficient to sanctify, it's sufficient to make you complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to elevate the Word of God in that manner. Therefore, chapter 4, 2 Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and is appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. No pastor has fulfilled his ministry of the Word without doing the work of the evangelist. We cannot isolate ourselves in the four walls of the church. We cannot hold up as as. Preachers, we're the, we're the preachers of God. We can't hole up in the church of God. We need to hole up, to study up, to pray up, preach to the church, and go preach to the world that they might be converted. Jesus didn't say, invite all the unbelievers to the local church to bring all their sin in and all their doctrines of demons in. And, no, He said, go to the world, go to the perishing, and preach to them. And when they're, they're saved, they'll come to church. They'll come worshiping, not blaspheming. They'll come wanting to be sanctified, and they will be sanctified by the preaching of the word in the local church. But go to the world and preach the gospel. Evangelism is about going, therefore, and preaching repentance and remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And when they repent and their sins are remitted, removed through Jesus Christ, then they come to church. It's not invitational evangelism. It's not friendship evangelism. It's go, therefore, evangelism. And it's Christ who commanded it. And doing anything else is rebellion. We need to obey the Lord of the church, Christ Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners. So I think he knows what he's talking about. 
This is why he created the cosmos. It's why he created it all. He's the chief evangelist. He is the Savior. How dare we get creative? It's called creative disobedience. Nothing else. And we'll not hear, well done, good and faithful servant for it. We'll not. And so we need a full-orbed ministry in the pastorate, a full-orbed ministry of the Word. Preach the Word in season and out. In church, the gathering of the saints, and in the world, wherever people are found. And that's exactly what you find. By the way, the Great Commission was given where? At the end of the Gospels. And then there's this book called Acts. And what do you see in the book of Acts? The apostles obeying the Great Commission. And how did they do that? They went to the world. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. And they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, what, what book is this? This is a book to Timothy, Pastor Timothy. This isn't just a ministry for apostles. It's for pastors. Preach the word, pastors. It, it makes people wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It makes them complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do the work of an evangelist. When the apostle Paul says, do the work of an evangelist, what's that mean? I don't know. I think it means this. I feel that it means that. I've got an idea. Let's do this. Now, how about we look at Paul's life? When Paul says, do the work of an evangelist, what's he mean? He means go, therefore. Go, therefore. Find the lost. Preach the word to them. The law to be a tutor to bring them to Christ, to be justified by faith. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's not hard math. It's not higher theological math. I need a PhD in Hebrew and Greek in order to get that done. Christ commanded it, the church obeyed it, and the world was turned upside down in a generation. Christ is still commanding it. The church, by and large, is not obeying it. And the world is taking over the church. That's how we got woke church. That's how we got social justice church. That's how we're getting the homosexual church. That's how we're getting the the mainline liberal church. That's how we're getting the emergent church. That's how we're getting all this filth in Christ's church through disobedience and rebellion against Christ's great commission, the mission of the cosmos, the mission of everything, the mission that defines everything, the reason for everything. You neglect that, it's no small thing. It affects everything. Oh. Yeah. Got to go a little further in the Scripture before we get to C.T. Studd. Philippians 1, 27-30, you know my love for this text. It's again a defining text. Philippians 1, 27-30, written to the church of Philippi, again by the Apostle Paul. It's a prison epistle. He's in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ while he writes this. Hear me. Your life is not your own. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be fined. I don't want to die. I don't want to be hit. I don't want hot sauce squirted all over me. I don't want empanadas to be chucked at me. Don't use that word, that chucked. Uh, I don't want any of that. But you know what? I'm willing to suffer any of that and all of that for the glory of my king. I'd like to live a long life and hold my wife's hand and love my kids and play with my grandkids. And there's grandkids, you know, I, I know there's more coming. I haven't even met yet. Just three. I want you know, 13, 30. 30 be good. Um, I, I want an army. 30 happens to be the number of a Marine Corps platoon. <laughs> I want an army, or at least a platoon. Anyhow, I'd like to stick around. I have no death wish. I don't. I like life generally, and I like you guys. I'd like to stick around. But I am willing to die for Christ. I am. I'll not be sorely used to suffer and die for Christ. If I should die for Christ, it's my best day. It's my best day. Now, I'm always 
glad. I rejoice to come back to my wife and children and to you. But if I die in the service of my king, it is my very best day. And there was no escaping it anyhow. It was appointed. It was appointed. And I'd rather keep the appointment not, you know, making a wrong turn in a car. (laughs) I'd rather keep the appointment preaching Christ crucified than making a foolish misstep in front of a bus. And so praise God, we have a mission. Philippians 1, 27-30. Paul, writing from prison, where he's been in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ, says this, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your conduct, how you conduct your life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. We should have one spirit, one passion, that's lowercase s, one passion, one focus, with one mind, one mind, one pervading thought, one central idea, one spirit, one mind, striving together, working together, suffering together, Sweating together, striving together for the faith of the gospel, for its declaration, for its defining, and for its defense. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the mission of the church. One spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Everything else is second to that. And that's all for the glory of God. Stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Hear me, the multitude of churches across this city have no adversaries because the devil is happy to let them sit in their compromise, happy to let them sit in their apathy, happy to let them sit in their silence. They'll not broadcast forth the glory of Christ, the gospel of Christ. They'll not dare say a peep in the safest of environments, about the evil of the genocide of the unborn. They'll not say a peep about the evil of homosexuality ravaging our children. They are in no way manifesting the indwelling power or fruit of the Holy Spirit. And yet they raise their hands up and worship Jesus while living in absolute rebellion and apathy to everything Jesus came, lived, and suffered, and died, and rose again for, and sits at the right hand of the Father for. And they expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. On this same street, there are thousands of people gathered today. Thousands of them. Under incredible compromise gathered under a pastor who baptizes homosexuals and lesbians in the midst of their homosexual and lesbian relationship, unrepentant, unregenerate. He baptizes them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, pronounces them Christians, and then puts them to work in service in the church at the Beaverton Foursquare Apostate Center. I can't even call it a church anymore. It once was a church, a compromised church in some areas, teaching some things I, I don't see born out of Scripture or bearing, being born up with Scripture. But now they have embraced 
a pastor who has embraced the homosexual apostasy that is sweeping the church. May God rebuke it. May God remove him. May the true saints there rise up and call for his removal. Or leave and find a true church with true under-shepherds. Do you get that? Once you, once you declare all the homosexuals and lesbians Christians, they can't get saved. Because, hey, they are saved. And so who am I to show up at the Rose Parade? Who am I to show up at their door? Who am I to show up in Pioneer Square, the riverfront, and to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that saves fornicators and adulterers and drunkards and revilers and homosexuals and sodomites so that this is their truth. Such were some of you. It saves them from the penalty of sin called hell. And it saves them from the power of sin called enslavement. They're new creatures in Christ if they're saved. But once a hireling, a servant of the evil one, pronounces them saved and baptizes them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as Christians, he is damning their souls. Damning their souls. And for the generation of children being raised in that church, he's saying, hey, guess what? You can, you can go the flow of the society. You can embrace this societal rebellion. You can embrace homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, bestiality, whatever you like. You can be that and a Christian too. It is evil. In Jesus' name, God rebuke it. We're to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by our adversaries. I guarantee that church will be my adversary. It already has been. The previous pastor from the pulpit rebuked our ministry of the gospel. From the pulpit. That's the previous pastor, who compared to this pastor was Martin Luther. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Certainly we have Satanists who are adversaries. We have Muslims who drive by when I'm holding a John 3.16 sign who say, soon you'll be under Sharia law. Yeah, there are adversaries. I get that. But the visible church, this rebel church, this system of apostasy, it too will oppose us. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Do you want proof that you're saved? Do you want eternal security? Do you want to know that you know that you know that you're saved? Have you in any way suffered for the cause of Christ? Is anyone hated, reviled, and despised you because of your faithfulness to the truth of Christ, to the truth of His gospel, your proclamation of it? We've got all these secret agent Christians. Their whole life seems to be dedicated to not in any way suffering, not in any way incurring the wrath of an unregenerate man or woman anywhere on the planet. The only command they know is thou shall not offend, tolerate. It's bumper sticker Christianity. This is, this is something else, this thing on Scripture. We're not going to meet C.T. Studd. You're meeting Jesus, even better. And Jesus' true church. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God. When they oppose God's law and God's gospel in you, living it out, speaking it out, handing it out, 
they're opposing Christ. It's proof of their perdition, and it's proof of your salvation. It's the proof. It's the reality. If you're not willing to suffer for Jesus, then what you're proving out is you're very likely not saved. Or not. Just not saved. If you've lived your whole Christian life and somehow managed to never suffer for Jesus, never have anyone hate you for His name, then then you've lived as a secret agent Christian. That is not my goal. And it's not my goal to help you do that. It's not mine personally, and it's not mine for you, because I love you. I want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Doulos, blood-bought one. I want the angels to cheer when you come through the gates. Here comes a champion of our king. A champion has come. Not one saved as through fire. There'll be some of those too. All of their life's works burned. Burned. They got their best life now. And it got burned. And then some who thought they were going to get their best life now and maybe risk, you know, a little rebuke there. Maybe have to wipe away some tears as Revelation tells us about. And they find that no, no, their, their works didn't get burned and they didn't have tears wiped away. They got burned. They got cast out as an unprofitable servant who was no servant at all. Bearing no fruit, the vine was cut off and cast into the fire. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. I love to read Scripture because I see the same conflict. I see the same war. I see the same kingdom-advancing ministry, Old and New Testament. I love to read the biographies of the, the warriors of old, the Whitfields and the mighty men of God who fought a good fight before us, the C.T. studs who fought a good fight, who when every tooth had fallen out of his head and even his own supporters had forsaken him, they wouldn't send him back. They said, you're too sick. You're too sick. You've been too sick too long. You're too weak. We can't support you. We can't send you out there. He says, well, I'm going anyway. I'm going anyway. And if my gravestone is but a marker for other missionaries to step upon to find the lost, so be it. I'm going anyway. In his waning years, they carried him from the bed to the pulpit and back to the bed again, out in the jungles, as he suffered from various diseases. A life well lived. I'll tell you more about him sometime. A life well lived. You've got one life, men and women. One life. One life. By the grace of God, cry out to God that he would fill you with the Spirit of God, that your life would matter, that you would live for the love of God and the love of the saints and the love of the lost, and you'd be certain to hear, well done, good and faithful, do loss at the end of your life whenever that should come. And you will know then that whatever you suffered, whatever you suffered for Jesus was well worth it. Infinite and eternal gain. Jesus will reward us. That's what's just mind-boggling. He's going to reward us for the sufferings we endure for the cause of Christ that we only endured because the Spirit of God empowered us. But He's going to reward us with eternal reward. Eternal reward. Don't try to get your reward now. And don't miss out on eternal reward Holding fast to the things of this world, like the good opinion of your fellow man. Oh no, if I speak about Jesus, they might think I'm a, I'm a Jesus freak or a born-again Christian. 
Not that kind of Christian. The only kind of Christian. Not that. A Bible-thumping Christian. Oh, no. You should hope they'd think you were a born-again Christian. That's the only kind there is. Oh, dear saints, I invite you to live this life, this life that's called the Christian life by Scripture. There is no other genuine Christian life. This is the Christian life that Christ has laid before us. He said, follow me. Die to yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. And it's not a bad bargain, saints. The riches of God, the blessings of God, the reward of God will be upon you forever. Well done, good and faithful doulos. May God make eternity far more real to you than this present non-reality. This thing is slipping away oh so quickly. The sin-tainted, sin-corrupted world. New heavens, new earth, in which only righteousness dwells, where King Jesus rules and reigns with a rod of iron, and the light emanates forth from our King and our Father. And we'll be with Him forever, under the fullness of His love. That's what we live for. That's what we live for. That's Christianity. That's our mission. That's why everything exists. That's why you exist. Let's pray.